0: And welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke. And in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Junie baptiste Poitavienne,
1: I am so excited to be doing this interview with you. Thank you so much for agreeing to do it. No, thank you so much, Jules, for inviting me. It's quite um, amazing to see that there's a program like yours and that you're inviting some amazing women to talk. So I'm actually very pleased and honored. Oh, thank
0: you. Right, well, let's start off by telling everybody about you. What is it that you actually do?
1: Yes, so I'm the founder and CEO of Propel Innovations and we're a boutique of people overlooked. Um, the first black women migrant global citizen polyglot owned ux business and we're doing this to disrupt how we design products (laughs) for people Uh, we're illuminating people's multifacets because we believe that that's the best way to drive the way businesses target you in the design of the user experience of tech and products and yeah and so outside wow that is a (laughs) mouthful yeah yeah so i mean so just
0: for for the women that might be listening that don't Oh, sorry. Go on. You keep going first.
1: Oh, no, no. I was just saying the reason why, like, um, you know, I got into that or it might sound like a mouthful, but it's because um, it's a lot that is not portrayed in the design of the user experience of technology. So UX means user experience. And it's pretty That's much ex- about... That was the question I was going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's user experience. So, you know, I think... <laughs> So think about like, for example, you know, any piece of technology, any piece of product that you use, and it's about making it easier for you. It needs to be more human. Um, You know, we like probably back in the 90s, you know, we think technology was an IT thing, but as the decades have come and. We see more and more technology being part of our everyday life, like to the point where we even sleep with technology, right? Our phones are like oftentimes right next to our bed. It's It becomes part of like, it influences our decision-making. And so we need to properly understand, go deeper into people's lives to better understand how we can create technology and products that are adaptable for them and for them to find it a lot easier to actually use and that can actually help them, um, yeah, in their day to day lives. So we really Brilliant. look at mul- yeah. So we really look at multifacets. So multifacets are anything that have to do with your lived experience, the different areas of your life, you know, that are that are part of who you are and are part of how you decide to interact with something or buy something.
0: No, I love it. And and, um, UX design was something I only discovered a few years ago. And it's, you know, it's kind of life changing once you realize that there are people that actually know, understand how that process and how to track it. But my big question for you next is why did you set it up? Why have you chosen this?
1: Yeah. So um, as my business. Yeah. So it was a while ago, a few years ago, actually a bit before the pandemic. Um, I had read an article about how AI didn't recognize people like Michelle Obama, Oprah Winfrey and Serena Williams. And I'm sure you know them, right? Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. And so it had a 30. Yeah. So it had a 35 percent error rate in recognizing those three people. And I remember reading that and actually not being astonished. I was like, there's it it obviously means that there is a lack of representation because in how um, in how they develop the algorithms of AI. And so yeah. as I started like looking into that and I was like um, you know and it was around the, and the pandemic happened and so I was like, great there's no resistance to innovation. And then I because I come from a more of a social science background, I was like, how do I bridge the gap between technology and people and how do I, find that way to create better experience, more more, more humane and more realistic of our world of today and of tomorrow. And so I thought, great, let's create Propel Innovations. (laughs)
0: Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so what I would love to do, Junie, now, and you've referred to a little bit about having a different background, is let's go right back to where you were a little girl and tell me about your life or tell all the (laughs) listeners about your life and how you've got to where you are now. Because I know that I met you last year and you've got a really interesting story. So let's start off with where where did you actually grow up as a little girl? What size family did you have and what did your mum and dad do?
1: Yeah, so I'm uh, born and raised in Montreal, Canada. Um, right. And like I, you know, from a very young age, um, at the age of four, I was a figure skater and I figure skated for about 10 what? years. And I was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And wow. so, figure, yeah, that's amazing. Figure skating like competitively. Was, yeah, competitively, like in my region. So, um, how right. it worked was you, so obviously you figure skate in an arena. And so, um, in the region that you're in, on a yearly basis, you'd compete with other, um, I guess, clubs that were within that region. And so, um, I used to be really good at figure skating to a point where my dad would always be like, "You always look so elegant on ice that, like, it's hard for judges Uh not to, not to, not to, like, you know, get you to win." Um, And so, yeah, so like, I would always (laughs) win. Um, And so for about eight years, I competed and I won gold medal for each and one of those years. Um, And I think I won bronze one year because with figure skating, how it works is that um, you're not allowed to look at the crowd. (laughs) Okay, so it's kind of weird because you're not allowed to look at the crowd. You're meant to just skate. Um, It's hard to explain over a podcast, but because I had looked out into the crowd, it kind of made it seem as if I was trying to, maybe cheat, and so the judges put oh, me on wow. third, in third place. Yeah, um, but the year towards the end of my figure skating days, um, I used to compete in this thing called Montreal Games, and uh, and I again kept winning um, gold medal, and then one year. They had changed the arena or the club that I was in had changed directors. And they're like, um, actually, this year you can't participate into the Montreal Games. And I asked why. And they said, because you're too good and you need to let other people win. Um, oh, Julie, what? <laughs> that's such <Yeah>. rubbish. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And I at that time, I was 12. Oh, my God. So what and... does a very
0: disappointed 14-year-old girl do when someone says that to them?
1: Well, I, I, you know, I said fine. I mean, nothing I could do. But I remembered thinking next year when I'm actually competing, I'm going to win, and that's it. And so that's exactly what I did. Um, you know, I continued practicing, <laughs> and then I entered the following year. I won gold medal, and then I quit figure skating. Um, and I was, and I was what coaching a, as well. What a pity! Yeah, yeah. And look, in what retrospect, a pity that, like, that
0: person was so they were so mean it's so mean-spirited
1: yeah pretty much uh pretty much and like you know and at the same time I was also coaching figure skating from like the age of 10 so I just yeah I that's that that was that's how I broke up with figure skating but I I loved it I loved it so much like I wanted to you know go into the Olympics and um you know as a black young girl as a black young girl in a sport like figure skating, it was really rare to see someone else that looked like me. And so there was this uh, um, French... Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so there was yeah, this You would have French... really broken a whole lot of barriers. <laughs> yeah. But if anything, uh, who inspired me was um, this French figure skater who, her name is Surya Bonali. And she used to yeah. do these backflips on ice. Um Number one, backflips oh on ice are not allowed. So she disrupted <laughs> figure skating. And I was so stoked about it because I was like, wow, like this lady is not only like representing someone like me, but also she is disrupting figure skating completely. Breaking the rules. <laughs> yeah. And so that was really inspiring. But yeah, I never made it to the Olympics. I quit figure skating. And then, yeah, I had another passion, which was, um, you know, to eventually build my own business um, I wanted to go into the music industry Wow, but
0: okay, now don't, hang on Stop and don't go too far ahead Because I want yeah. to you bring back to the question of How big was your family and what did your mum and dad uh, do?
1: Yes, yeah, my family, like you mean my close As in, do you family? have brothers and sisters? Yeah, yeah, I do I have a younger brother um, We're okay. 10 years apart uh, my Oh, mom, okay yeah, yeah. So my mom is a nurse and my dad was a teacher. Um, and okay. Yeah. And so did you love school when you were younger? Yeah, yeah, I did love school. Um, I love the school that I went to. I especially, I, I just really love the fact that we were always exposed to different interests and passions. Uh, you know, I learned music, I learned theater. Um, languages um, yeah and and I was I was I grew up as well in schools where it was very common to see people from different backgrounds whether culturally or linguistically or you know coming from different social classes as well Um, so we very much lived in harmony (laughs) if I have to say it that way
0: now, that's perfect. That's exactly the kind of school that you want to go to. So um, were you good at school? Did you go right the way through to year 12?
1: Yeah, yeah. I finished school through to year 12. Yeah, I was good in school. Um, I was what I was called, my dad likes to call, it, I was an applied student. <laughs> um,
0: applied student? Yeah. <laughs> I like, like
1: for, Yeah. Like, uh, you know, like my parents never were worried whether I was doing my homework or not. Um you know, I studied and whatnot, but I was the kind of learner that I love the theory, but I also learned better by applying that theory into practice. Like I needed to understand oh, okay. how does that te- theory actually apply into real life? <laughs> um, but yeah. Which so. is just
0: such a smart question for a student to ask because <laughs> it's like, it's almost like saying, is it, worth, you know, should I bother learning this bit? Am I going to actually be able to use it? Because there's so much rubbish that you get forced to learn at school that you, you know, never use again.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like calculus. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure there's some careers that use calculus, but not ours.
1: Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So I remember, but that was after school, like in Quebec. So the province that I'm from in Canada, um, we're the only province in Canada that doesn't do year 12. So we do, we stopped at year 11 and then you do two years of pre-university and then, oh, okay. uh, yeah. And so during those two years of pre-university, I had to do calculus because I was studying international business. And uh, yeah, I remember I failed my calculus <laughs> and I was like, and because of that, because I was like, how am I going to use this like in my day-to-day life? Like what is it for? Um, but yeah. And it's hard. <laughs> it's it also not hard. an easy subject. <laughs> no, it really isn't. And so, yeah. but Right. So, yeah. so you, you, So you
0: went off to pre-university, which sort of sounds like it makes a lot of sense, with the idea of doing what at uni?
1: International business. Um, So Ah. yeah, so I so yeah, because at a young age I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to have my own business. Like at nine years old, I remember being like, "Can can I just interrupt you and
0: ask why did you want? Why did you want to be an entrepreneur from a young age? Who was the role model? Who had you seen, or how did you even know what it was?"
1: No, I, I I didn't have a role model. I think it was the way that I grew up. Right, um, my parents are are from Haiti, so it's a small right. Caribbean island, and they moved to Canada when they were like in their late teens, and because I noticed how much they had a hard time, you know, establishing themselves in Canada, not having the opportunities, for me it kind of always felt like. Well, if I have my own businesses, I can have more ownership in putting in putting money into the things I believe in, into as well like you know, being able to see more people like me, like being represented in business or being able to get opportunities. And so yeah, that's where it came from. It was just like this this idea around that and or the idea as well that like I was a very like I have a lot of imagination (laughs) and so I always felt <laughs> like I always felt like the hardest problems could be very easy to solve. I was just I, I was just that kind of person who was like, well, if there's that big problem, surely there's a solution to it. And so for right. me, I always felt like there's always a way to solve um, problems. You can do it through business, um, of course, you can do it through not for profit. But I always felt like there's always a way to get profit out of something. Um, and then put that yeah. money into, you know, your society and your community, um, which oh, what makes a, sense. What a
0: fabulous <laughs> attitude towards it. And I love it that you say you want to see more people like you, because then you move to somewhere like Australia, <laughs> where it's almost <laughs> like starting from scratch again. Because we, uh, we've really only had immigrants from any with any kind of ethnicity outside of Europe. I would say, well, no, actually, and Asia, but uh, but only really in the last. Ten years, so there's not loads and loads of you. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, that's right. And and look, after I left, I left Canada and I moved to Mexico, India, and China. So I definitely was not in places. Oh my I god. Okay. Well, people. hold off because I want to hear this story.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, okay. So let's go back to uni. You did international studies. Then what happened?
1: Yeah. So so in, at uni, I, I I didn't end up doing international business because I failed calculus in my pre university. Um, and, so, <laughs> and because the counselor, sorry, I, I shouldn't do, laugh, but that's no, no, no. Oh no. Oh, please do
0: laugh. There's laugh an irony there of why would you need calculus in order to go to do <laughs> international studies? But anyway,
1: yeah. Yeah. So in international business and, um, yeah, so, uh, the counselor was like, oh, you should, um, you should, you should either like stay an extra semester if you want to like, um, graduate If you want to graduate in uh, international business or do social sciences and so i didn't want to stay an extra semester because i was like i've already learned everything else before (laughs) uh through the schools i went to and so i decided to go into policy Uh, i went into um, policy community and public affairs at university and i'm kind of glad i actually did that because it opened my eyes to the systems in which we live in uh, and how that dictates Um, You know, I guess how that dictates how we interact with one another, how it dictates, like, who benefits from a policy or not. Um, And all of that, like, later on down the line with Propel Innovations, it's by doing this kind of, um, well, by doing this kind of formal education that it's informed me as well as to how I should build Propel Innovations. Um, So, yeah, so I studied public policy and I was like, yeah, I'm going to go into, like, work into the, in the UN. That didn't work. Um, and so I moved to Mexico.
0: <laughs> hang on, <laughs> hang on. You, guys, you can't go. I wanted to work in the UN, and it didn't work. What happened? Did you did you apply and you didn't get in, or did you not even apply? Or
1: oh no no, I applied. I I was very determined to get in. Um, you know those notebooks that you get at like office works. Um, yes. I literally had filled, and this was like back in 2011. So you know, um, I had literally filled the whole notebook with the names of the companies, the names of the UN agencies, the names of like international development organizations around the world and like like, sent an application to each and one of them. And, you know, I was sort of tracking down, like, am I getting any response or whatnot? And the thing is I was getting no response from any of them. Uh, And even like, you know, through the UN as well, like I remember, um, yeah, like trying to go through a different um angle and and it was through like networking that this person was like, oh, you should work in not for profits because that'll probably help you with um getting into the UN. Um but yeah, I I just I I had gone to that point where I spent a while to apply in the into the UN and never heard back from them. So instead of so then I just thought, you know what? I guess that didn't work. So let's move on to the next dream. (laughs)
0: You're good though. You, you certainly gave it a, a fair whack. And I can't believe that they didn't even respond. That's yeah. very weird. But anyway, that's their loss and our gains. So what, what came next? What was the, what was the pivot?
1: Yeah. So, well, I was working at a bank. I was working at one of the top banks in Canada and um, yeah. I had, I had gone to a point where I had pretty much reached my capabilities, like I had become top 50 employees in banking in Canada. And, you know, I got to that point where I was like, "Mm, is this it? Is this my life? And yeah, I don't know. I aspired for something more. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I aspired (laughs) for something more. Like literally I was like, you know, I had traveled (laughs) by then. I had done backpacking in Southeast Asia. I had lived in India and I was like, Hey, well, no, uh, no,
0: no, hang on then. Uh, Sorry, only because I'm itching to know about all of this travel that you did. And you just went from, um, you know, I I was at uni. I tried to get into the UN uh, to, oh, and I just stayed in India. So how how did all that happen? Like, what were you, how did you end up in India and everywhere else?
1: Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So in my last year of university, so when I was finishing my bachelor's in public policy, community and public affairs, I, um, you had to do an internship. And everyone in the class that I was in was doing an internship in Canada, and obviously me being the person that always does things differently, <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm gonna like go overseas to do my internship. And so I had found this opportunity to to work with an NGO in uh, in India, and so yeah. and and the whole work was around um, helping this NGO gain uh, media. Attention into the work that they did around um, microfinance and helping women who were living in the desert yeah. to yeah to get microfinance for their businesses because their their husbands um, were men who were going into uh, who were working in mines and what was happening was the conditions in the mines were not safe at all so in other words people were going no. down. Uh, I don't know what's it called, like the whole, uh, like quite deep down, you know. Six With feet no under, protective gear. Zero protection. And I mean, when I mean zero protection, I mean no helmet, no vised. Like um, you see how like people here wear, um, what's it called? Like the uniform that you need to wear to go into these places. Um, no boots. Like nothing. safety
0: gear anyway.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Like safety gear, no. Because of it's like- just,
0: I mean, I, I remember last time I was in India, they were building um, at in Delhi anyway. They were building huge overhead um, or raised freeways, and mm-hmm. there were and literally the scaffolding was made out of bamboo, and the guys were hanging off the side, like you say, no helmets, no nothing. Literally hanging off the side and chipping away at concrete or doing whatever they had to do, and I just remember thinking. Oh, my God, they must have so many deaths because there's just no safety, equipment, security. It There's just that sense in India that people are expendable. It's, it's exactly. awful. It's something that you're really not used to in a Western country.
1: That's exactly right. Exactly. And so what was happening, right, so that NGO was helping to raise awareness about that so that there could be better workers' rights. Yeah, great. Um, and so, yeah, so I was there. How, how for- did you find it? How did you um, find that? So investment? it was through it was through universities. So know un, in universities, I don't know if they have actually I don't think I saw that here when I studied my masters in Perth here, but um right. they have this thing called ISEC. And so it's like a student organization within universities that helps you connect with, you know, other international students around the world, but also oh. connects you with, you know, opportunities for work like that around the world. Um, so, being like the avid traveler that I used to be pre pandemic, um, of course, <laughs> and I will went be into, again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm itching. You have no idea. <laughs> and I bet. So, I know I am too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so, yeah, so they're called <laughs> ISEC. So, A I E S E C. Um, and right. yeah they're mostly and they're, they're common in North America in terms of um, organizations like student organizations that can connect with other international student organizations but connect with um, right. job opportunities like that and so I had found this internship through them and it was in India yeah. and I put I, I did not say no <laughs> and I just so I just how went long to were you India over there for for three months yeah so it was during the summertime, so during the semester break um, between my uh before i finished my um my university degree my bachelor's right. degree right yeah wow okay
0: so that's the india bit um what happened next because you were saying you, there were a few things
1: that you had said yeah. that you'd done <laughs> yeah i have a very non-linear life <laughs> so um so yeah so when <laughs> i finished <laughs> well take
0: us on a little wandery journey but i yeah. i i like hearing all the little side bits as well
1: <laughs> yeah of course um, yeah. So after India, um, yeah, that was when I went back to Canada, finished university. Like I said earlier, I was still working at a bank while I was studying. So, um, yeah, like I, I figured, OK, well, I finished my university. I might as well focus on trying to climb up the ladder in banking. Um, and that's when, you know, I had I, reached. I
0: can't pick you doing that. That's just such a strange image <laughs> for me of you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, you're, you're right. Because like, I don't know, I never really saw myself in banking. But I think it was at that point in my life where I guess I was trying to fit in what the status quo asks us to do. And so I yeah. was like, okay, great, steady job. Like I'm at the bank, it's steady. Like it's not going to go down. And, and I was go, doing it's well. It's so
0: steady, it's boring. But anyway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and I was doing really well, if anything, you know. So, you know, like.
0: You yeah, get, it sounds like, you like get, it.
1: F- yeah, you get flown to Puerto Rico for being <coughs> top 50 employee um, I was 23 years old and I got the executive team to, like the, the executive team invited me into their meeting and they were like tell us how you get sales of 500 percent and I was like wow like you're asking the 23 year old how to do that like it felt pretty good <laughs> it felt pretty good I but bet it also, but I mean 500 yeah.
0: I can understand why
1: <laughs> yeah yeah that's right and so you know, they valued me as an employee. And it's hard to leave a place when you feel so valued. Yeah. Um, and so I stuck around, you know, and I liked my job. If anything, if anything, I really loved working at the bank. Like it was probably, it was actually the best job and the best workplace I've ever been in. Um, oh, wow. So Yeah. And so I stuck around there for at least five years. Um, but yeah, I had reached that point And then... You know, I wanted to climb up the ladder and I got stalled. And I thought, you know what, like I'm getting stalled into being able to move up the ladder. Um, I feel like I've got so much more to give. And I thought, I don't think my life is at the bank, but I want to travel and I want to know what it's like to live abroad. And I said, you know what, just I guess it's time for you to leave. And um, I was trying to I was looking to see like What can I do like to financially sustain myself while traveling? Yeah. And um, I'm very good at languages. I speak five. So I thought, well, I might as well learn um, how to teach English to speakers whose language is not English. And so I did my CELTA course. And once I finished my CELTA course, I quit my job. I quit my apartment. I packed my life in two, luggages, in two luggage and then bought a one-way ticket to Mexico. And I, and, I, and I remember my friends being like, so when are you coming back? And I was like, I have no idea.
0: Like <laughs> and, maybe uh, never. How yeah. brave, Junie! Really. And, but it's also amazing. There's not a lot of countries that will let you go in on a one-way ticket.
1: Well, Mexico had no problem. (laughs) Okay. I must keep that in mind. Okay. So,
0: so what did you do in Mexico? You arrive, you've got your baggage and that's just about it.
1: Yeah. What did you do there? So I started teaching English there. So I was, um, working at a international school. Um, I started teaching English there. I was giving, I was doing, I was, um, giving private English classes, uh, and to adults as much and, uh, worked as well in a high school in Mexico and yeah. Right. And then traveled Mexico and I traveled most of Mexico. So I was in Mexico for about a year or a year and a half. Um, right. yeah. And it was, it was, it was the best experience that I had. Um, I'm so Mexico. pleased to hear that because yeah.
0: my own image of Mexico is kind of drug cartels and danger, <laughs> but, um,
1: yeah, unfortunately, I love it that you had
0: such a great time.
1: Yeah, I find that very unfortunate that that's the stereotype of Mexico because if anything Mexico is very rich in culture it's very rich in its history and its food. So literally, like, you know what you eat in terms of Guzmán and Gomez, like that's not Mexican food. <laughs> um, no. And so no, that's right. And so yeah, the drug cartels and whatnot, like they're mostly in the northeastern part.
0: But... I think Breaking Bad has a lot to answer for actually in that sense. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's always like that. It's always Hollywood movies that just tarnish yeah. um, the images of certain countries. And I and it's sad because Mexico is super rich. Value and people in Mexico are the friendliest I've ever met. People would just like literally invite me into their homes like I was their family. They were like, Yeah, you're part of us now. Um, they're always looking out for one one, they were always looking out for one another, and yeah. And I just felt like I belonged, like I was part of the community in the country, and I. Yeah, it was, and I met some amazing people as well, and I'm still in touch with a few Mexicans. And ironically, when I left Mexico and I moved to other countries, I left Mexico, but Mexico never left me because I kept meeting so many people from Mexico who were Mexicans (laughs) um, when I left Mexico. So it was great.
0: Meant to be. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so so where did you go? Why did you decide to leave and where did you go next?
1: Yeah, so I decided to leave because again I had reached my, all my capabilities. Um, You've got
0: wanderlust. That's it, really. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> that too. That's the that technical too. term, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, that too, and also I'm a very curious person. And the thing is, when I learn something and I figure it out, I need to go to the next thing to learn because. I'm someone who is an avid learner like I'm a very curious person I'm a perpetual curious person and so I had gone to that point where I was like okay well you know teaching in Mexico I'm kind of done Um, uh, I if anything I wanted to head towards Brazil to travel um, and get there for the World Cup soccer in 2014 but I never made it um, because I ended up going (laughs) to China and of course you did yeah, of course, right? Just going the Which other is side of course of
0: nothing to do with going to further south in South America. So, how did you end up going to China?
1: Yeah. Um uh, yeah, so I just um I was applying for jobs and and just to like I said earlier, right? I'm someone who does things differently than most people and I'm and yeah. I've always had a curiosity for countries that were not close to my culture. I was very curious to understand other people's cultures and I was like, let's go to every country that's not westernized. Um, and oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah. And so I had I I had applied to several jobs, and China is the one that I ended up landing. And so I moved to Beijing in 2013. and um, To do what? That, teach English as a second? To se- teach. Was that English yeah.
0: as a second language still?
1: Exactly, yeah, still, still. Um, and okay. it was super shocking in terms of a culture shock. Like, I've been to... You know, I had traveled Southeast Asia. I can only I begin had traveled. To imagine. Yeah, but I think for me the culture shock was like realizing that like, wait a minute, I'm in a country where I actually can't identify words, right? Like in Mexico No, I mean
0: that's the thing like, that scares me about Japan
1: and China. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because none of the like words like they don't use Roman language, right? So that makes sense. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, right. Like I'm really just out of my comfort zone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I, and I didn't know any Mandarin. So um, I, I, I know other languages, but not Mandarin. And uh, that's when I realized the, what it meant to have a language barrier (laughs) because I would like I would ask for things and I was like, oh, I don't know how to ask for this because I don't know any Mandarin. So if anything, because of that, it pushed me to learn Mandarin very quickly. Um, Oh, so you've learned Mandarin? Yeah, like very basic, like survival Mandarin, like enough for me to be able to count... Asked for directions, asked for food. I think I knew that I had nailed my Mandarin when I was able to haggle in Mandarin, and I was like, <laughs> "I was like, I'm having like a deep conversation right now." Yeah,
0: well done. That, yeah. That's amazing because it's yeah very hard language. Okay, so how long did
1: you stay in China for? Uh, for a year, so that was that was how long my contract was. It was for a year, right? Um, and then I, and then that's when I realized, yeah, teaching is not for me. Um, I have high respect for teachers. My dad's a teacher, or was a teacher. He's semi-retired. He's retired now. Um, yeah. And you know, I taught myself, and I saw so many flaws in the education system, and I just thought, yeah, it's not for me. Um, I'm gonna go back into international business, right? I had failed calculus. Right. But I'm gonna go back to international business because I want I, i'm i I really want this to happen. So I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go to international business, um study in Spain, in Spanish, so I can go back to Latin America. But I've got seven months before I can apply. So what do you do in those seven months? When you're junior, you travel. So I decided, ah, yeah. So that's when I sort of thought, oh, where do I go? And I thought, you know what, I'm going to check out Australia because I had met people who were Australians while traveling or people who had been to Australia. There's a lot of us
0: around the world, actually, sprinkled everywhere, aren't there?
1: Yeah, that's it. Well, yeah, yeah. I had never met Australians living in Canada, but for some reason, the moment I leave Canada, I've met them much more. Yeah, that's it. And so I thought, okay, well, let me check out Australia and see what the hype is with this country, right? It's it's a Western world, not really what I would have gone for, but whatever, let's check it out. And but, it's, so, but it's so
0: far from everywhere else, I guess, that it makes it kind of intriguing. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Okay.
1: And it's far, it's far, because at the same time, I thought if I'm going to go to Spain, I'm not going to come back on this side of the planet again. So I'm already on this side of the planet. China to Australia, it's a lot easier. So, um, so yeah, so I made it down to Australia. I was scuba diving in some parts of Southeast Asia and Malaysia and Thailand. And then, uh, and then I landed in Perth in 2014. And that's how the journey and then a whole new journey began.
0: Well, yes, because I have to ask, obviously, with your wanderlust and your past, why are you still here?
1: Yeah. So when I actually arrived in Australia, I was like I said, right, I was never intrigued by other Western countries. And so when I got to Australia, I was actually surprised to see that Australia was not as uh, it was not at at the same level of like North America. I actually found Australia to be a lot behind North America and especially
0: and and especially
1: And Europe, exactly. That's right. Um, I only referenced North America because that's the only one I knew at the time. Right? Like yeah, Europe, yeah. I knew, but I, and, I knew. and when
0: you say and when you say a bit behind, it, do you mean in business or in technology or in what way?
1: Business, Every technology, way? culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was very, yep. very different. I was and and I was shocked and I was shocked because I thought oh, it's gonna be like Canada, no worries, it'll be the same. And I realized, oh no, it's not the same like in Canada. And so I had to learn to shift that. But what made me stay was because of that, because I saw that the startup and tech world was not like what it was in North America. And I was like, well, there you go. Like I've always wanted to start my business. I see a plethora of opportunities in this country. And I said, you know what? like stay, figure out how you stay. And um, and when I decided to do that, uh, and, and I was on a working holiday visa. And so when I decided yeah. to do that, I was like, okay, how do you even start a country in a new country? I mean, sorry, how do you even start a business in a new country? And so I saw that there were quite a few barriers and I had to get to getting my permanent residency first. So my PR. Um, and I said, okay, fine, let's get the PR. And then after get into business, I could have, I could have applied for a business visa, but I needed $75,000 to be able to start a business here. Right. Yeah.
0: Which is Um, quite a, quite a high barrier to entry when you consider that once you are a private residence, there's nothing really other than buy a domain (laughs) and set up a website and off you go.
1: Yeah. And the domain is domain and like an ABN registration is what? Thirty nine dollars.
0: Yeah. Yeah. certainly not seventy five thousand.
1: <laughs> that's right. So I was like, well, I don't think I'm going to spend seventy five thousand dollars for that. So I decided, all right, let me go through the path, migration pathway to get into permanent residency. And it was um, a very a highly challenging experience for the past nine years. Um, it was. I don't hold. Wow, has a it lot taken of,
0: you nine years to get it?
1: Nine years and seven days, precisely. So I got it. Oh, Junior. I, yeah, I got it recently on March 8, 2023. So, an International Women's Day. Um, but those Woo-hoo. nine years, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it, <laughs> I it's like, amazing
0: that it happened on such a significant day. But I just <laughs> want to apologize on behalf of Australia that it took you nine flipping years. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah it was it was a long time, but it was also a very harsh nine years because I had to restart from scratch. Um, all yeah. of the experience I had gained, um, everything that I could bring, I had to throw that away, put it aside. And I had to restart from scratch. Um, I couldn't work in banking. I couldn't work in government. It's crazy.
0: Sorry, I'm just going to have a little aside while you say that because I'm realising that more and more when I speak to immigrants, um, and I'm an immigrant myself, but, Mm. you know, very different if you come from England or Ireland, which is what we did. Mm. But I guess... um, The thing that's really shocking me is that Australia just has this policy that people can't apply the skills that they've learned overseas here. It just doesn't make any sense to me at all, which is why we have doctors and lawyers driving taxis. Correct. It's just stupid.
1: Correct. And so you see how I was telling you, like, it's quite behind North America, if anything. Yeah. what, What you call brain drain, right? Having doctors and whatnot, like riding taxi cars instead. Um, I remember growing up, so because I'm a second generation migrant, my parents, like I was born in yeah. Canada, and my parents I come from Haiti, I actually experienced seeing my parents or other people who are immigrants um, struggle, being, brain drain, yeah, and struggle. And so for me, it was that moment of like, oh, my God, I'm actually experiencing what my parents used to experience 30 years ago. Um, or what a lot of immigrants in Canada used to experience 30 years ago. And I thought, like, wow, that's ridiculous. Like, I have high education, I speak many languages, I've lived overseas. Like, you know, I could bring something to this country. Um, But yeah, I had to start from scratch. And, you know, out of not being able to have any choice or opportunities, I resigned to just work in hospitality and work in a restaurant. And when I worked in restaurants, that's when I realized there were a lot of people like me who are immigrants who work in the hospitality yeah. sector because we don't have the opportunity yeah, it's bit, to work. It's a bit
0: heartbreaking, really.
1: Yeah, 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 it is. It really is. It really is. But yeah, so I've had to go through a long journey um, through my migration process um, to then be able to start my business. So... I only felt well. All I can say
0: is welcome, and it is yeah. wonderful that you are here permanently now, or at least yeah. for as long as you want. You can come, come and go as you please, and that we've got your incredible background and experience to enrich our lives in Australia. Because really, that that kind of breaks my heart a bit. So let's just quickly move on because we're, we've been chatting for a while to mm-hmm. um, Propeller, your your agency, and how that. Started, um, and then I've got a couple of extra little questions to ask you.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So Propel Innovations um, started in 2020, and so it's myself, right. and now we've grown to a small team. And so we work around user experience design, and we're helping businesses look at you know how they can use user experience to increase their customer database, to increase their brand reputation. Um, decrease their financial loss and like increase their in profits. Yeah, and so we do this. But by... what
0: prompted you? To, what prompted you to start it, Junie? Was there a bit of a light bulb moment?
1: Um, yeah, that light bulb moment was the lack of representation and bias in technology. And right. I remember thinking, oh my god, like where are the black Bill Gates? Like, where are they? Yeah. <laughs> and I just yeah, and I couldn't see that, and I felt like it was my calling to go. You know what? I'll just start it. I'm not going to wait. In other words, like because I don't come from an IT background, but I have a rich experience in other sectors and you know my life and whatnot. And a good I, intellect. Yeah, that's it. And a good intellect too. Yes, I would like to add to that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. And I, yeah, yeah, I love that. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, so I thought. I so I thought. You know what, like. I don't want to as well fall into the trap of like going back to school to study, uh, finding like job opportunities that never give you an opportunity because they're like, you don't have enough experience. And I was like, that's complete BS because I have rich experience. And I thought, you know what, yes. instead of doing that, let's kick in that nine year old's dream of having a business.
0: Yes. And Woo-hoo.
1: Yeah. And I said, I can't swear, but I said, screw this stuff it um, stuff it yes exactly stuff it uh, i'm going to start my own business and if it means that at least I'm, I'm i'm adding i'm i'm adding a solution to the very complex problems at least like i'll be yeah. able to add representation in tech and remove bi- and Brilliant. remove biases in how we design technology
0: and the other thing is that by working in tech in this particular field it hasn't yeah. been around for a long time, so no. you will be able to become an expert at it quite fast when there aren't loads and loads of people who've worked in it for thirty years do you know what I mean so yeah. um, it's I think it's and, and it's very much what the uh, I think the future of technology is going to really focus I have to focus a lot on the customer journey and user experience so it's Spot on, really. You're, you know, just talking about that intellect. There you go. Tick, tick,
1: tick. That's it. That's it. And for me, like, you know, like my my wild dream is to build an empire. So because I want to be able to see. Yes. Oh, my God. I
0: love you saying that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I want to be able to see. I hope you do,
0: too. I absolutely. And I have no (laughs) doubt that you will. Uh, and and we're all going to be looking in awe at the new. There won't be the new black um, Bill Gates. It'll be the yeah. it'll be the new black Junie. Who everyone will be yes. going. I want to be like Junie Baptiste Poitevin.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right, exactly right. And like, and I want to be able to build that empire so that like our world is reflective of where it's going and what it should be. Because like, for example, you know, you saying my name makes me go. I've never seen, like, let's say, philanthropists or foundations or big corps that have names like myself. Like,
0: No, you know. they're all Sally Brown and, and John <laughs> Smith, aren't they?
1: Yeah, that's it. And, like, there's nothing wrong with that. It just means that, like, no. I, 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 just, I just want my empire to have Junie and other, other really cool names. And hopefully, and I want to do that as well to inspire emerging generations to know that, like, yes. it's possible. If you don't see yourself well, in right. something... Just like go create it, like go create it and other people will follow. And, you know, like you just need to remain like be authentic and stay true to yourself. Stay true to your views. Keep that integrity going, because despite the fact that, yes, I am, like you said, right, like I'm like the only person who owns a business in UX who is a black woman. I have faced as much discrimination and being underestimated for it but i've had to learn to turn that into my superpower and just yep. flip it just flip it just go you know what that's your problem i have Well you to know do with that's it.
0: right and you know Junie, there's there's benefits to people underestimating you mm. Do you know um, what i mean are like they? i mean what, what you know those? it's like bring it on it's like <laughs> underestimate me at your peril <laughs> <laughs> Yeah but that's a good But it point. will allow you to do stuff that other you know like yeah, I think there are opportunities that come when people are, you know, not th- not thinking. I mean, it's the same thing. We, off- I often see it anywhere. Or I've seen it in my life because I'm much older than you. As a woman, that people will think, "Oh, well, she's not going to be able to really do that," so I won't pay much attention. And you go, "Watch me." <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> so it. so. I'm
0: absolutely delighted, and I just can't wait to see what you're going to do. Now, I've only got. We're, we're almost out of time, but I've got a couple of little questions for you. One is that, um, and I'm just going to bring this back to Australia, really, Um, Mm. but. One of the things that I like to ask, because it's she's the boss, is is have there been any women that have helped you? Is there are there any women that you can tell us about who are pretty awesome? Um, and let's just limit this to Australia for now, because we haven't got very much time. Have yeah. there been any women that have been instrumental in sort of helping you on your journey, especially over the last nine nine years? Oops. Excuse me, I've got a bit of a okay. cold at the moment.
1: No worries. <laughs> um, I'm not going to lie in Australia I have not found many women be supportive. Oh. However. Right. However. Yeah. In the past year for some reason I am starting to find my tribe and I am yes. I am meeting right. I am meeting women, women of color, women who are not women of color who are as much being like who are starting to become my tribe, you know, like Um, just you know the way that I met you um, it was because I had um, uh, Dr. Morley and Ruwangi who mentioned about She's the Boss and so I went to one of your events and then I met you and I remember you talking and I was like yes finally like another woman that like I can like approach to that I feel that I could be that I could find support or that I can you know gain a bit of that like support so it's starting to change and it's it's it started to it has started to change in the past year but the previous eight years it hasn't been like that
0: (laughs) I'm delighted and I hope through She's the Boss that I'm building a group of women that will support other women who are more marginalized and have bigger obstacles as I said at the Christmas party you know if, if we're all as female founders, really trying to get ahead, there is so much more that you guys have to climb, or girls. I can't even believe that, with my feminist kind of thing that I called you guys. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, but there are there, there's a whole lot more obstacles that you girls have to get over, and it's our job really to help you and pull you up. I think. Yeah, so I'm it, I'm delighted that you found me.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and, and it crew. was be- that's it, and it was because you said that that it made me go, yeah. I can I can work with that. (laughs) I can be part of this. Oh, good. Um, And there should be more people like you who recognise that. Um,
0: Well, I think there are, but I don't know that they've got as big a mouth as me. That's all. So, um, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of women. Yeah, there's more and more women that I'm meeting now who I who definitely have got those attitudes, but maybe they're just not what they're, they're not putting themselves out there as much. Which is why my job, I see my job, is helping women make themselves more visible because yeah. if you are if, if you are looking for those role models, you need to be able to find them.
1: Correct, correct. Yep.
0: Uh, but anyway, Junie, you're going to be the one that everyone's going to be watching soon, so that's <laughs> the main thing. All right, now another couple of little things. One is in order to start, and and this is an interesting one, so I've now interviewed about 250 women. Mm-hmm. I would say that at least a third of them have overworked themselves, burnt themselves out, and in some cases have had quite long recovery periods or they've had to change their business completely. So my question to you is, how are you avoiding that? What is your working week like and how are you doing the juggle so that you're not, you know, working every hour that God sends?
1: So so again, um, I do things very differently. (laughs) I, I, I I don't, I don't, I don't abide by this burnout culture. I think it's dangerous. Um, yep. I, I love so my, I. I love my sleep. So, um, <laughs> and, uh, for me it's, um, triathlon, um, because so I do, so I train in triathlon. Doesn't sound very and relaxing so, to me. Oh, well, I mean, it's hard work. Sure. But I think, but for me, if anything, I find one, it helps me to discipline myself um, yep. To build to understand what commitment means to and it also helps me build my mental endurance and so like because training is very much a discipline thing um you know I have to wake up at like five or six in the morning to train um, be in bed by like nine or ten or else like I'm completely wiped out um, I, yeah. I break I break my days um, and also the advantage of working remotely like sometimes I actually just if I'm not, Sometimes I'll, like, go and take a nap because because I can. <laughs> um, and Great. it's so important. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's perfect. No,
0: I, I think one of the questions I said to someone in one of the – recently in a podcast was I said, so, for instance, if – if you had meetings booked for a day and then a whole lot of people cancelled and you had the afternoon off, what would you do? And this person said to me, oh, my God, I'd be like, great, I can get on and do a whole lot of other work. And I said, wow, i just take to the sofa and go, great, I've got a free afternoon.
1: (laughs) That's exactly (laughs) it. So it sounds like you
0: might be a little bit more like me. (laughs) Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, yeah, because, you know, like when I used to work nine to five jobs, I never got the chance to take a nap and I used to drink so much coffee. But now that I don't (laughs) do that... And I don't need to drink coffee. I'm like, no, I can just go lie down for 30 minutes or an hour. Put my alarm So what box. sort of
0: hours do you work, would, Junie? Would you be doing 40 it, hours a week?
1: No, it depends. It depends on what I'm working on at the moment. So I like to break down my days. So, for example, in yeah. the mornings, I'll do, like, the deep thinking work, like 30 to 12. Uh, yeah. Or, like, in the evenings if I have, like, a spur or burst of creativity. But then, like, 2 to 4, I do more mundane tasks. Um, that's also around the time when I take a nap, <laughs> um, right. and so, yeah, so it depends on the workload. Um, sometimes yeah, I don't do a full 40 hours, yeah, right. but I never mm-hmm. do like the 70, 80 hours. Like it just doesn't make sense. It's not productive to begin with. Um, no,
0: I, so. I absolutely agree with you as well. And I know that, uh, and I mean, I've, I've even tried this, but I know that I am much better in the morning than I am in the afternoon. And mm. if I set myself the same task, if I try and do it in the afternoon, not only will it take twice as long, but I'll probably make mistakes compared to if I did it in the morning. So yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's very wise. Um, okay, the very last question is, um, just very quickly, and you've been very open so that there may not be anything, but is there a quirky <laughs> fact that most people don't know about you that you'd be up for sharing?
1: Yeah, so I used to be in dance oh. in a <laughs> I I am telling you my life is uh, should be in a book one day. Um, I know, well, uh, there's definitely <laughs> a book in this. You know,
0: that'll be when you've built your empire and you're yeah. looking to, you know, do something on the side.
1: That's right. Yeah, so I used to dance in a hip hop group. Um so you know how like it um, halftime basketball games, you usually have cheerleaders. Well, um, there were no cheerleaders. We were the hip hop group that actually danced. And so, and that was what early 2000s. So at the time, like the hip hop jams of 2000s were pretty big. So yeah, Yeah. I used to dance at halftime basketball games in a hip hop group. Wow. Yeah.
0: Oh, my goodness, Junior! you are a woman of so many talents, I can barely keep up. But I just want to say how much I've enjoyed this chat, how amazing you are. I can't wait to see what you're going to do next. And um, I really, really appreciate you doing this chat with me. Now, if anyone wants to get hold of you or wants to work with you through your business, can you just tell us website addresses and social media platforms?
1: Yeah, so um, very easy. So my business name is Propel Innovations. So website is www.propelinnovations.co. Can you just, Um,
0: sorry, Propel, so it's P-R-O-P-E-L Innovations.
1: Yeah, correct, correct. And then um, on Facebook and Instagram, you can also find me under Propel Innovations. Same thing on LinkedIn. Uh, And on Twitter, You can find me under Propel underscore UX.
0: Fantastic. And if anyone wants you to speak at their event, and I would encourage anyone listening to this Mm -hmm. who's looking for a speaker, wouldn't Junie be amazing? Um, Junie, how do they get hold of you personally? Is it, Mm -hmm. are you Junie Baptiste Poitavien on social media? I mean, on On say LinkedIn?
1: On LinkedIn, yeah. Or you can just email me at hello at Mm -hmm. co.
0: Okay, fantastic. Well, listen, thank you so much. It's just been brilliant. I can't wait to share this.
1: No, thank you. Really appreciated the conversation. Um, you've brought me back into memories I had forgotten. So it was great to share my story and to share <laughs> and to share how this story has actually weaved into my why for building Propel Innovation. So I um, really appreciate the platform you've given me.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au.